it's good to be with you all. Uh, the, the trap on a sermon about deacons is that a lot of you will tune out. You're like, oh, oh great, a, a sermon on deacons. What does that have to do with me? In fact, it has everything to do with every single one of you. And there is an aspect to the diaconate, especially the choosing of those men and the encouraging of those men and the support of those men that every single person in this room who is a member of this church or regularly attends this church has some sort of impact on. And so it's important that you, you do, in fact, pay attention for the parts where you come in, uh, which will be all along the way, actually. Um, for those of you who are wondering how the process works, I will walk you through biblically where we see some of the aspects of the process coming from. Uh, this is a good bit of it's from church history, a good bit of it's from our own denomination. And so, um, but, but we do see biblical analog as to why we make some of the decisions that we make for the diaconate process here. You'll get much more information. I'll send you an email this week, which will have the instructions. You will actually receive, if you're a member of this church, a digital nomination card that you can use even before Sunday. It's kind of, the, it's kind of the, like the release of the movie on late Thursday night. Um, so you'll, you'll get that, and you can, you can nominate online, and we will have the physical cards uh, on Sunday. Some of you may be thinking, why don't you give us a list of men who are qualified? Well, we don't want to do that because we don't want to influence your decision. We want to see what you see, right? So some of how you're going to nominate people is based on men you see that are actually fulfilling these characteristics and requirements. Some of them may not be, have been members long enough, but it's good for that to be on our radar that you're seeing someone who is exhibiting these gifts and for us to cultivate those gifts over time, okay? All right. So the first question that I have for you is, does your life affect the life and the future of the church. It's not a rhetorical question. Does it? And do you believe that? Right? We can say that. We can say, oh, yeah, yeah, but how often are we really thinking about it? Right? One of the things that I think that we, we all struggle with, and this is something that we battle as a staff, we battle as a session, we battle as leaders in the church, is only having a, a narrow vision for the church, like a right now kind of vision, instead of thinking in terms of generations, right? So biblically what we see is the Bible thinks in terms of generations. It thinks in terms of large uh, contexts, multiple generations. I don't know that we always do that as well as we should. I don't know that we do as good a job as we should. And you may say, well, i got enough to worry about instead of worrying about generations two and three and all that kind of stuff. But, but we do. We have to be concerned with how things are going to go. Now, the balance to that is the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, a lot of times how the church worries about the next generation is whether the next generation is going to do it the way we did it and do it exactly the way that they ought to do it. Sing those songs a certain style. Um, do those things a certain way. Not mess with the Apostles' Creed, Calvin. Well, he did, and for good reason, I think. And so, so we, we always, we, we out of fear, try to make sure that the next generation does it the way we have determined is right. But what does Ecclesiastes tell us? The grave is the great equalizer. You will die. And you will not get to decide what the next generation does with what you've given them. So either you are going to give the next generation a spirit of fear and rebellion, or you're going to give them the gospel. And so, so it's very important as we think about this process of, of leadership 
The church should be always cultivating leadership in the image of Christ. The church should always be looking to build up and recognize that every single one of you, how you live affects the church, either overtly, right? Either you are affecting it overtly with, with how you're living, positive, pro or con, or in kind of the antithesis, meaning there are things that you are not doing that are not providing opportunities, that are not encouraging to other people, that are just not. And I know it's kind of philosophical, but that's, that's really a, a large part of our problem. There's just a lot that we, we don't engage in and we don't do. We don't take ownership of things. It takes time to take ownership. We're at a very interesting point in the life of this church. We've had a, a fair influx of, of people in the last year and a half, and it takes usually about six months or so before people begin to even give, which is a sign of them taking some kind of ownership. And then it takes another few months even after that before they begin to think about how to serve in the local church, membership, all those other kinds of things. And so there's this lag time, right? Um, and there's this interesting phenomenon that usually the people who come into the church, a house of fire, um, and, 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 and they're all excited, and they, they, they come in day one, they're like, how do I become an elder? When do I get to preach? I just, I'm, I'm, this place is awesome. Uh, they don't last. They don't stay. They usually end up matriculating out, usually within a month. Now, that's not my own statistics. That's actually several places have, and anecdotally, we've seen it here. Everybody who's come in and, and and been a house of fire, they, they don't make it. But the ones who are kind of, they come in suspicious, right? They, they, they come in late and leave early so nobody catches them, and they, they, they don't want to, like I try to, like, let's grab lunch. <laughs> Not happening for six months. Um, and it all, like they, they actually end up, if they stick around, because even some of them don't last, they get invested. And so we're at an interesting spot where, where we are starting to have some, some, hopefully, some return on the investment of the people who've been here, uh, maybe new within the last two years, who've gotten involved, who've started to express their gifts, who have become members. And so that's why we want to hold nominations at this time. We'll do elder nominations next year around this same time. We do have a need in our diaconate. We only have five deacons and seven elders, and for those of you who know about the shepherding groups, uh, we usually pair a deacon and an elder, and so poor old Bill Tippins is, is carrying the weight of his shepherding group alone, and because I can't let him do it by himself, I'm carrying the weight of mine alone, and so, um, so we would love to have two more, at, at least, if you would join me in praying that the Lord would provide at least two more deacons so that we would have seven and seven across the board, and it would provide some help to the current diaconate in terms of just the, the, the duties that they have, all right? And so that, that would be helpful. But I, I, but I wanted to go back to that question, does your life affect the life of the church? Yes, it does. It really does. If, if you are um, cranky about your faith or you're cranky about some aspect of the church and that's what you talk about all the time, it's going to affect what you do here and whether or not you get involved. If you buy into, and even with not have, maybe buying into everything wholesale, but are willing to serve with a, with a generous heart and you're willing to be a kingdom minded person and, and you recognize that it's church is not about you anyway. Christ redeemed you. There's nothing more to gain. That what you now are set free to do is use the gifts that he's given to every single one of you in a variety of ways. And so it's critical that we recognize that, that this talk of deacons is not just about the deacons. It's about the whole life of the church. 
Because here's the truth. And what we're going to see from Acts chapter 6 is it's the growth of the church that actually creates the need. So a church that's not growing doesn't need to add deacons. You can keep the ones you got to kind of manage the current situation you have, right? Um, and so, so when a church begins to grow, and why do churches usually grow? Well, hopefully and biblically, it's the, the, the experience of the gospel itself and the full of worship, not just preaching, the full of worship, and the engaging of our neighbors, uh, the, the living it out so that people are drawn to the aroma of Christ who say, there's something different about you, and I want, to be a, I want to be affected by what you are being affected by. And so that is, the, that is the, the hope, is that how we are living our lives creates a church that's growing. Now you may say, but I like a small church. I like it when the church is small. Think about what you're saying. And listen, I'm with you. I have no interest in being a mega church pastor. I don't think I have the capabilities. In fact, I'm cuddly as a porcupine. It won't work. So you're safe in one regard. But we do want to plant churches, right? We want to raise people up that can, that can plant churches, and there's areas that need it. So through Faith Promise, currently we, we support two church plants. One, Jody was an intern here with Mike Glass. Um, and, and that's in Cartersville. And they are moving toward particularization sometime in the next year. They have their first leadership class which you need to be praying for Riverside Community Church and that leadership class because anybody who started leadership stuff can tell you Satan attacks pretty quickly. And he also does it violently. It ain't light, right? It's not like your, your fax machine goes out. Does anybody still have a fax machine? Well, whatever. It, that's usually Satan goes after the fax machine first. That's kind of why I think we got rid of them. So anyway... Uh, so they are, they are first leadership class, and, and it's an exciting time for them. They're seeing upwards of 60 to 70 any given Sunday. Um, they've got some folks who are going to be joining here real soon and partnering with them in the ministry that's there. And so that's exciting. We, we, we get to bear the fruit of that. Brian and Mandy were members of this church and were called to go to Southeast Asia, and, and that's what an amazing thing. And we need to support them, and we sometimes do out of sight, out of mind, and we we can be forgetful, but you're not going to meet anybody that doesn't need encouragement. You'll never meet anybody that doesn't need it. And then also the other church plant that we support in Jasper, Mountain City Church, they just elected two elders, um, and they're, they're growing and seeing the Lord bless their ministry. And so, so we have been a part of uh, the, the growth of the kingdom in this regard. And so, so we want to live lives such that the gospel is on display. The truth of the matter is, it's not all on me. And we know that, right? People are, are interesting. They'll oftentimes come to a church because they hear the, and this is going to sound arrogant for a second, it's not, because I don't believe this, but they, they'll, they'll say, we, we want to hear some good preaching. And they'll get there and they'll get their belly full of Daniel or Job or wherever it was we were. And then they'll start looking around they'll go, Wait a minute, I don't like the music. And so what they thought was most important suddenly is not what was most important. Well, they don't like the children's ministry. They don't like the youth ministry. They don't like something, the chairs or the setup and the teardown, right? Other things begin to emerge and kind of take away that joy. And they begin to kind of harp on that and it turns cancerous. And nobody wants to be drawn to that. Nobody, nobody comes into that. And oftentimes we don't mean to, but we do. We find ourselves there. And so we have to really look at how is, how is how I'm living affecting the kingdom? 
It doesn't have to be just about Christ Community Church. We're not the only gospel-preaching church in this area or in this world. And praise God for that. He's all the more glorious because of that. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing to create uh, an environment where people would say, those people love Jesus? Because remember what holds people. Jesus told us this, John 13. The world will know who you are, but the way you sin come thou found. And what he said? No. He said the world will know who you are by the way you love one another. And that needs to be our emphasis. That needs to be how we think about these things. That needs to be the hermeneutic for us, the hermeneutic of love. All right, so the book of church order describes the office of deacon in this way. The office of deacon is one of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus. It expresses also the communion of the saints. Listen to this part. It expresses the communion of the saints, especially in their helping one another in a time of need. What a beautiful picture of the diaconate. They're not just groundskeepers. They're not just bean counters. Their greatest attribute or the greatest contribution to the local church is to meet needs, real needs, but you've got to know people to know they have needs. You have to be involved in shepherding people and involved in their lives because, let's be honest, we don't just share our needs with everybody. We're oftentimes prideful or we're embarrassed or we don't, for whatever reason, we don't let people know, hey, I need help. And so here's where the diaconate really becomes the, 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 the beautiful hands and feet of the church. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we look at two different passages based uh, where, where we get all of our stuff about deacons from. The first is the origin of the diaconate, and this is where the gospel creates a need. This is Acts chapter 6. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> and the key truth for this sermon is that the growth of the church is connected to the cultivation of leaders in the image of Christ to serve the various needs that arise from the fulfillment of God's redemptive promises. So it's, it's really, it's a, very much a, a, a circular thing that as we, as the church grows because God fulfills his promises, it creates the need for leaders who we cultivate, who then help the church to grow because of God's promises that creates more leaders that need to be cultivated and on and on it goes, Right? This is one of the signs of a healthy church. Is she cultivating gospel-centered leaders? People who can serve, or really gospel-centered servants. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, say this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. 
and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, there are some scholars who argue that this has nothing to do with the diaconate. Well, that's great, but the church from the very beginning took this to be the origin of the diaconate, and so they have used this to help define what it means to be a deacon because the other passage that we're going to look at really doesn't tell us what they do. We just know they exist. And so in this passage, the, the word for deacon, diakonos, shows up in the word serve, but it doesn't show up as, a, as an official title. But we see here a distinction between the apostles, who seem to be in the same vein as the overseers or elders, and they're making a distinction of those, they're going to be word and prayer, and now these are the folks who will handle the individual needs that arise in the local church. Now, they have a particular historic situation going on, and we, we, we want to remember what was going on in the book of Acts. Well, you had had um, Pentecost, and you had all of these folks from all over the, the, the Jewish diaspora who had gathered together, and Peter and others, they, they, they preach this sermon, they think they're drunk, and a bunch of people come to the Lord, and the church begins to grow. Now, the Hellenists, in this case, are not Gentiles in full as of yet. These are Jewish Hellenists. These are, are Jewish folks who spoke Greek, who had been part of this, this uh, as part of the diaspora, as part of the Greek empire. And so they were different. Uh, they spoke different. They had Greek names. And so there was a, there was a cultural divide and difference but they began to respond to the gospel and started coming in. Now, if you remember the people of God, we have always struggled and we struggle right now. All you got to do is look around you. We struggle to gather together in diverse contexts. We, we, we struggle to, to, to understand other cultures and to, uh, we struggle to um, be uh, um, conscious of how we come across to various cultures. And we don't understand really fully how hard it is for someone of a very different culture to come into a room full of suburban white folks, which is a unique culture, by the way. Uh, any of you read Hillbilly Elegy? You, you, most of you ain't like them, Appalachian folk, right? And, and we're also not necessarily like uh, full-on upper-class white folks, high-society folks. So even within ourselves, we have differences of culture, and oftentimes I just think we're, we're just not as aware. We would love diversity, but what it would take to actually do it well and honor each other is a much different matter. What I want you to see is that the apostles recognize we need to do something. We need to address this issue straight away. That should be, that should be kind of point number one to us, the church, is when we recognize there is a, a need in our community, whether it's within the church or even within the, the confines of the footprint of the church, we need to be willing to say, all right, Lord, what would you have us do? What resources can we use to glorify you and thank you for growing your kingdom? So how do they deal with this issue of the Hellenist widows? Well, part of the problem was there was this thing called the daily distribution. Now, it was either food or money, but it was intended to try to help the poor. So in this case, it wasn't just that they were Hellenists, they were also poor and in need. And so they, they were being neglected. We don't know why they were being neglected. It oftentimes happens. Um, it, who knows? But either way, the church was willing to say, 
We admit we were wrong, and we admit we need to do something about it, and we're going to gather together and solve this problem. So notice what they, the apostles do. They call together all the disciples, which is shorthand for members of the first century church, folks who had made a public profession that they are of Christ. And they said, all right, here's what we do know. Uh, we're not going to solve this. We're not going to fix this. We're going to leave it up to you, and we're going to give you a few guidelines. So here's, here's the early characteristics. Choose seven men from among you, which would have been sufficient to meet this need. And, he, and they give... They give the, the guidelines. And notice what they are. They have a good reputation. They are filled with the Spirit, which would have been evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and they had wisdom. Right? Th that was critical. That wh Why would good reputation be important? What's that? Yeah, they had to, they had to be an example of the gospel itself. And, and this is really important. There was a watching world. And who was going to be handing out money and those kind of things? You had to have somebody you could trust doing that. Remember Judas' example? What was he doing with the money for the poor? He's taking that. And that's not, that wasn't good for him and his heart. So these men have to be of good reputation because it's also about the advance of the kingdom because the watching world is looking and going, that guy's a leader in the church? How many of you had that experience? Don't raise your hand. I don't know if it's current, but... <laughs> But how many of you have, have had that experience where you, somebody will say, yeah, I'm a deacon in my church or I'm an elder in my church, and you're like, wow, that's interesting. Uh, unfortunately, it happens all too often um, uh, and, and shouldn't be that way. The watching world should never look and go, whoa. Now, it, it, if they knew you back when and you've undergone transformation, and you go back 10 years later, and are like, you became a deacon? Because that happened to me quite a bit. Like, you're a pastor? Like, of what? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. And so, but that's different. That's different. But if your current reputation causes people to pause and say, I would never go to that church. I would never go to those people for help. That guy's a wolf. That, that's, that's terrible. And there must be, and an, an, not just about your reputation, but there must be a spirit-filledness about you. Right? And, and then the gifts of the Spirit are some of the easiest. That's, if you want to know if somebody's filled with the Spirit, do they evidence the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Love, pe patience, peace, joy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? That should be evident of this man. And he's got to show wisdom because it's, it's not always going to be easy. Any of you have ever done mercy ministry? It's paint by numbers, right? No, it isn't. Every situation is different. There are going to be times when you have a gut feeling, something's not right, but you can't prove it, but you have to give anyway, or you give because you knew, man, this was going to, these people, this is going to change their lives, and they ended up buying crack with it and being ruined, and you were wrong. It, it's, it's, it's an ebb and flow. It's hard. It's incredibly hard because what you're really doing is offering people opportunities, not dictating their lives to them. But mercy ministry is incredibly hard. So these men have to have wisdom, and that wisdom must be spirit-based. And what's beautiful about this is the people that were gathered said, you know what, this is a good word. We, we, we should do this. Because we want to free up the apostles to do what it was that the Lord had called them to do to continue to plant churches and further the gospel. Because that's the part of the body they are. And we'll create this other part. So they choose seven men who met the qualifications. All of their names sound Greek. 
We don't know a lot about him. Uh, actually, what we know about Philip and Stephen is from what subsequently goes on in Acts. We, we see a little bit about them, and then we're, we're told that Nicholas was a proselyte of Antioch. He may actually have been a full-on Gentile. We don't, we don't know that for 100%. And so, um, these, so they actually, it's interesting, think about it. They chose from among their own ranks. Some have said this was the first affirmative action hiring. And so they, they chose men who would be able to um, uh, speak to the actual needs of the people, right? Very wise thing to do, and it oftentimes gets overlooked. And so they would know the needs of the Hellenists better than a, a, a full-on Jewish person would, actually, because of the change in culture. So there's a lot of really wise things that occur in here, and then they, they, once they've been selected, they lay their hands on them and they, they pray for them, which is the bestowal of blessing from the Old Testament and the change in leadership. We see this. Moses does this with Joshua in Numbers 27. And so this, they're, they're empowering them to do this work and be released to do it under the, under the power and authority of the, the apostles themselves. But what's most important is that you notice the result. What's the result in verse 7? Not rhetorical. The church grows. And not only does the church grow, you've got to pay attention to this. this is, there's no biblical detail that's, that's, that's not, doesn't matter. Priests. You, do you understand the gravity of that? Priests themselves began to convert. Convert. Yes, convert. That's important. They were giving up their this, this calling that they had on their lives, they were giving up all of their nobility, they were giving up their, their gravy train, this, and, and joining this new church. They were essentially untethering themselves from all that had made them who they were. So it's got to be something that was compelling to get them to make that turn. You've got to understand. So they were looking at this situation and going, wow, there is something going on here that I, I, I've got to investigate. And it was beautiful. So, so what I want you to notice straight away is that is, is the, always the purpose of the diaconate is the growth of the church. Not just the maintenance or the mining of the store. Minding of the store. We do the church a disservice when we push our deacons into a space where their whole role is keep the grass cut, which we don't well, we got some, but somebody else cuts it right now. Um, uh, make sure there's no bees around things. Poor Jack was attacked by wasps last time he went to the property. Uh, and, and, they, and we don't actually put them in, in situations where they can shepherd or situations where they can actually love people and have their faith grow as a result. So for, for us, one of the things that we want to, to define the diaconate here is, is that they actually do spiritual ministry, is that they're involved in the life of the church, though they are the hands and the feet aspect of it, we want them to be involved in people's lives enough that we can actually know what's going on. So often, and this is so frustrating, is we find out about needs after they're too late to be met. And then we get charged with not meeting the need because we didn't know about it. And that's difficult and, and it's not all our fault. Now, there's, there's some times where we have our head in the sand and we're, we're more concerned about uh, things that we shouldn't be concerned about instead of you. Don't get me wrong. 
But, but we want our diaconate to be involved in your lives, praying with you, praying for you, serving the physical needs, being able to meet the mercy needs that come up in our church and those that come up outside of our church for the advance of the kingdom. I have to brag on our diaconate a little bit and that there was a, a situation with a man who um, they, they uh, made the decision to help and they were taking him back and forth to a job down in Atlanta at one or two in the morning and picking him up. Which is crazy. I mean, that's just awesome. And they really loved this man well, and he didn't want the opportunity long term. But they, he, he, was, he was given one of the best shots you're ever going to get to make it by our diaconate. I was proud of those guys. And the great thing was, when they first decided to help him, I, I, I thought, mm, no, but the Lord said, lay aside what you think you know and let me work. I was like, all right. And so, so what, was, what the Lord was actually doing was doing something in our diaconate to teach them something about loving people in the hard places. And, and, and the good news is they didn't draw back a nub and say, I'm not helping anybody else. You can't do that. That's not what it's about. And so I, I'm very, and, and our deacons are, are, have, have shown a genuine desire and hunger to try to be involved in shepherding things. The balance here is they have families, they have jobs, they have mercy needs. They have life circumstances. So this is where you come in. When's the last time you prayed, either four by name or in a group, if you want to get the most bang for your buck, that diaconate here at Christ Community Church? When's the last time that you, and I hope you've done this. I'm not trying to call you out. I'm actually hoping that this is a good thing. I'm not coming for your life on this one. I'll get you in a minute. When's the last time you thanked them for all the stuff they do here? Do you, know that they, do you know that they get up very early on Sunday? Not as early as some places who have to do set up, but they do get up early and they come and they make sure the church is unlocked and that mo most all of them are involved in the very chairs you're sitting in. They set these up. We don't have elves that do this. I wish we did. And they make sure that the truck runs. And they make sure that, that uh, of all these things, and they're involved in teardown too, most of them. They, they work. They're workers. Have you thanked them for that? Because it gets old after a while. It just does. You know, and to their credit, they have not complained much at all. And nor have they complained in any sort of serious fashion. And they've hung in there. I know a few of them, if not all of them, at one time or the other thought, I'd rather, Larry keeps trying to retire, but we're not going to let him. Uh, he, won't, he thinks there's an emeritus status for Deacon, and we, we keep cutting that out of the book. So, uh, but, but, you know, all, it's, been, it's not easy on any of them. And we need to, as a church, to love them well. They need encouragement. So, and let me tell you somebody else that needs encouragement, that it affects as well. Their wives and their children. If all we ever, and this is the generational part, if how the church treats its deacons as, as some sort of subclass citizen um, who, who, who should just basically make sure trash is picked up, their children see that. If we, we speak to them in a fashion that is, is in any way degrading or demeaning, their children see that. And if we as the church don't love their family well when times are kind of rough and we don't ebb and flow when they have need to, guess what? Their children see that. And now we're handing off to another generation a very poor picture of what Acts 6 calls for. 
So we have an opportunity here at Christ Community Church to love our diaconate well and to be praying that the Lord, and part of loving them well is pray that the Lord would bring men, not just from outside the church, but would raise up from within men who meet the qualifications. And by the way, we're going to see their wives as well. We don't often say this, but there are qualifications for the wife as well in 1 Timothy 3. That those qualifications, that men would meet those qualifications and be able to love the church well, for what reason? Somebody tell me, why? Why Why do we do that? For the growth of the church, don't forget that. See, sometimes we lock that off. We we, we forget that verse 7 is critical. That as we add people to the diaconate, it it would not be just to make it so that you only have to do something once every two months, but so that the church would grow. And she would be vibrant, and she would have people who could do shepherding, not just set up chairs and unlock doors. Those are vital, but not the most vital. All right, Tim Keller puts it well. He's got a book called Ministries of Mercy, which they use for their diaconate, and our deacons, when they go through the training process, they read it here as well. This quote says, Mercy ministry is not an end but a means to an end, the spread of God's kingdom. The goal of mercy cannot be simply to feed as many people as we can, but to bring Christ's lordship over their whole lives and the social systems in which they live. Thus, mercy ministry cannot compete with evangelism or the gifts, energy, or money of the church. Mercy and evangelism have the same exact goal. The diaconate has the same goal as the session, which is to glorify God and draw people in to make the family get bigger. That's the goal. So, what impact is your reputation and evidence of being filled with the Spirit and wisdom having on the growth of the kingdom? These are the kind of questions we really don't like. I know you don't like them, by and large. I don't like them either. We, we as a culture, we, we, like, uh, we, we, we don't like to think about stuff. We like to be entertained. We don't like to do reflective stuff. This is why we like some of the movies that we like. This is why we, we talk about vegging out all the time. And, for, and, and here's the trap of the church. Because I'm on a stage, because I'm speaking through a microphone, because there's musicians up here, this can begin to look like something to which you're supposed to be entertained by instead of actually having to think. No, we have to think. We have to consider. We have to know each other. And we have to ask, how is my reputation affecting this church? How is, am I actually filled with the fruits of the Spirit? Is that, is that even evident in me? And you may do the false humility thing and say, well, who am I to assess myself? Paul would say, no, you need to. I did it. And do you have wisdom? And and, and is how you exhibit those things helping the kingdom to grow, whether you are a deacon or not? Very important to consider. All right, if you would, flip to 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, and let's look at the qualifications that Paul gives to Timothy for the diaconate. Now, the trap in reading the, the qualifications is the same that we went through when we were in the book of Titus and we looked at elders. It can feel like, who in the world could ever meet this stuff? But it's, it's, a, 
is God asking you to be perfect? Is He? In and of yourself. You good Reformed folks are like, "Mm, in Christ, maybe. Yeah, yeah, in Christ you are perfect, but you didn't do anything. That's God doing all the heavy lifting. That's actually Christ doing the heavy receiving, actually. And so, and so you're not being asked to be perfect, but what you are being asked to do is, is to exhibit this. In fact, some of the best way to have a great reputation is to admit when you're wrong. How many of you love somebody who's right all the time? You just feel like, man, I, hang out, I only hang out with people who are right all the time. I love them, and I love it when they talk about it. Right? <laughs> right? So we don't. And so we don't, don't read it this way. It's really important that we, what we read in this is that this is, this is, these words are actually not zero-sum games as much as what they should be. They should be identifiers of us. So if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word from 1 Timothy 3. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now Paul is making a distinction between the office of overseer, elder, and deacon. He also mentions it in Philippians 1 where he acknowledges both the overseers, elders, and the deacons. So there is a a two-office system, at least in Paul's thought. And so he gives these qualifications, and they're not much different than that for the elder, but notice what they are. Dignified is, again, good reputation. That has to do with how people outside the church view you. This is one of the reasons, if you are nominated as a deacon and you meet the other basic qualifications, you will need to have um, a, a recommendation from someone outside the church, a written recommendation. If you're like, I only know church people. You're not a deacon, right? I mean, this is, you can't grow the kingdom only knowing church people. But you may say, yeah, but I think, I think this one's not safe. Let's not get into all that. You've got to know people outside. So one of the things you've got to do is be able to give a letter of recommendation that you didn't write in crayon or do yourself from someone who recognizes these gifts in you. And so, so that's critical. And then it says not double-tongued. Now, this is, this is so, so, so important. What does this mean? Well, it means that you actually, your words and your deeds match. That what you say is actually, and what you say you believe is, is, is life. Does that mean all the times that mean you don't? Due to technical difficulties, there was a 30-second clip of the sermon that did not record. We will now pick up with the remainder of the recorded sermon. That's going to happen from time to time. And you're going to need to repent of those things. You need to deal with that stuff, but it can't be what you are. You can't say, I, I, I love Jesus, right? And, and, yet, and yet you don't love the poor. You can't say, I, I love Jesus, 
and think that a political party actually defines what it means to be Christian. You, you can't say, I love Jesus, right? And, and at the same time, not care about your neighbor or the loss or the things of God, the people of God. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I really don't like people. <laughs> You're not a deacon. And a lot of us in our worst moments sometimes like to say those kind of things, like we'll make some offhand comment. I don't think I really like people. No, you just really don't like certain people. That's different. And you need to work on that too because the kingdom is very diverse and God has a sense of humor and that person's probably going to sit next to you in heaven for eternity. So work that out, all right? So you, you can't, your, your words and your deeds must match. They have to. Again, this is why um, we require recommendations from within inside the church and your family. If your family says, I don't know why, I don't know what y'all are saying. This guy is horrible at the house, which is hard because most families aren't honest enough to do that because then you got to go and account. It just opens up all kinds of cans of worms. I wish they would, though. I wish we could really be honest because it would help the church and it would actually help that family. So this is, this is why we require some of these things. And it goes on to say, not addicted to much wine. Now, this is really important. It means that this person shows some control. Does it mean they don't drink at all? What's that? Not addicted to much wine. They need to know their limits. And why is that important? Well, drunk people tend to do goofy stuff, and it's not good for the church, and, and you, need to, you need to care enough about the church that you can control your passions. A man who can't control his passions should not be a leader in the church. And then it goes on to say, not greedy for dishonest gain. Well, because he's going to be involved in the mercy ministry of the church and, and the making sure that people are taken care of, this man cannot be um, uh, come at it with a, a business approach. And, and he can't come at it, because I mean, it's such a delicate thing doing mercy ministry. Such a delicate, we want to be generous. We want to be able to, if we've got the money, meet the need, or, or figure out how to meet the need. We don't want to be the kind that go, and we just talked about this the other night in the joint meeting, I never want us to be the church that if we zero out our mercy ministry that we go, well, we can't help anybody. No, let's start looking and change drawers. Let's do what we got to do. Right? I, I don't ever want us to be the kind of people who look at a line item and say, nah, we're, we're, we're hamstrung. Money's not there. Now, you may, that may make you cringe a little bit. I don't get to do that with everything, and there's like 12 other guys to keep me from going rogue. <laughs> okay? I, I am. I'm... I'm, I'm <sighs> I know you guys don't think this, but when it comes to that kind of stuff, I'm crazy sensitive and generous. I just want to, all right, make it rain, give it away. Kills me to have to tell somebody no, and there's times I've had to tell people no, and I knew it was a spirit-led thing. But this person cannot, cannot be about his own gain and be, uh, and be greedy. It, it's a terrible thing for the diaconate. And it also goes on to say they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, if you look down a little bit further uh, in that same chapter, I want to read to you what Paul means by the mystery of the faith. Verse 16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, being Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. That is shorthand for the person and work of Jesus Christ, the mystery of the faith. The mystery. And this, this still should, we, we should still use this term. It should still be mysterious to us that God loves us. That God would send such a resource 
as Jesus Christ, his only son, the second member of the Trinity, he would send him to become a man, take on flesh, suffer all that we suffer, yet remain perfect, which, by the way, is harder than doing it and asking for forgiveness, by the way. You ever tried to be perfect? It's terrible. And we just assume that, like for Jesus, it was just like, it was easy. No, do you have any idea how hard it would be to see your people hurting? Remember when he wept over Jerusalem? He says, how I've longed to take you under my wing." Do you know how hard it would be for him to see his people hurt and be tortured and killed and not call down a legion of angels and incinerate everybody who was an enemy of God? Do you know how hard it was for him in the garden when those men showed up and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am. And they fall down. Right? Remember in the, in the, in the gospel where they all fall down? And he has to go, hey guys, get up. Um, it's, me. it's me you're looking for. Okay, let's, <laughs> come on. Uh, instead of, and then taking his power and just overwhelming him with it, even him just speaking who he was, knocked them to the ground. He would then go on to endure having his beard ripped out and being slapped and told to prophesy and spit on. You know how hard it is to bear that and to look up and to see the guy that you've probably loved the most, who you prayed for that his faith would hold, deny you three times. You don't think that hurt him in his humanity? Gethsemane says it does. His cry from the cross from Psalm 22 says it hurt him deep. And yet, he did it for us. So we have to hold this mystery of the faith, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the love of God, the gospel, God with us, with a clear conscience. Because if we don't, this, this doing church stuff will eat you alive. Which is probably not a great kind of segue to say, hey, so come be a deacon. <laughs> But it is the mystery of faith that holds. I, I, I promise you. That, at the end of the day, has held me fast. When I turned to Susan and said, I, I think I could sell insurance. I think I'd be good at it. She's like, no, you wouldn't, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and, and knowing what Jesus did, this is small, so small, comparatively, what we endure and carry. But you've got to hold it with a clear conscience. And it goes on to say, let them also be tested first. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now there's some debate about what this actually means. Some say it's a period of time that they have to be kind of looked at. And some say it's just a matter of kind of poking around on them a little bit and asking a few questions. Well, we, we decided, well, we'll just do both, okay? So there's a period of time that a man must be a, a, a member here at Christ Community Church. And at current, it's a year and a half. Now, the reason I say at current is one time it was one year and one time it was two years, so we just thought we'd land right there in the middle and be fine with it. But a year and a half is, is a really good length of time to see someone's life. Now, people can hide stuff. We're all good at it, and we really don't oftentimes get that involved in people's lives and get up close and personal to be able to see certain things. But we do a length of time. You have to have been a member, which allows for people to recognize your gift. That is, we will not compromise on that. Even if somebody comes in and they were just a, an incredible deacon at another location, they're going to have to go through the same process as everybody else. And you may say, well, that, that's why the church is inefficient. Yeah, you're right. But you should lay your hands on no man too quickly. 
which is biblical. And so there's that. And then they also, once they've done the year and a half and exhibited the gifts, now they go through a six-month process of reading a number of books um, that deal with all of these things over that six-month period and meeting uh, for two to three-hour sessions with me, uh, which is probably the equivalent of six or eight-hour sessions. And so, so they really they got to go through that and be trained and, and actually have some opportunities to serve in some of the things they will actually do. And let's see, how do you respond when this comes up? We do a very, very practical um, the, the reading is theological, but we get into the practical stuff. We talk about, hey, if this comes up, how will you respond? What will you do? What do you think is the wisest thing? Because just because they get nominated and just because they go through the six months does not make them a deacon yet. They then have to be elected by you. After all that, we've got to bring them up before you and kind of go, all right, does anybody know anything about this guy that would keep him from being a deacon? And we open up the gossip floodgates and see what happens. No, I mean, we, we do want to know. There may be something we haven't seen. And if something comes up, if, if some portion of the congregation is, is a, a significant enough portion is not comfortable, that man will not be elected. Even though the vote is, you have to have, of the members present on the day of election, you have to have the majority, which is 51%. It still may not make you a deacon if a large enough section of the church says, I, I don't, something's not right. We would just put it on hold, try to work through that. We got time. We got eternity. Uh, work through that before we put somebody up that's going to cause heartburn in a large section of our church. This is also why this can't be a political thing. This isn't about politics. This isn't about a guy being good at business. This isn't about any of those things. It's about whether or not he exhibits the gospel in and through his life. And it goes on. Their wives, likewise, must be faithful in all things, I'm sorry, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now listen, nobody can do this in a vacuum. You cannot ask a man to take a huge portion of his life and cut his wife off from it and say, you can't talk to her about these things. He has to. That's his helpmate. And she's going to know if he comes to a deacon's meeting, he comes home and he's mad at a wet hen and spitting nails, it's not because he listened to the Hawks game on the way home. It's because something went down. Now, how he talks about it to his wife is of critical importance, right? I mean, there's, there's some wisdom that must, again, this goes back to him being wise. He's got to be careful. And there's things that he needs his wife's wisdom on and how to deal with the circumstance. So it's critical that we as a church recognize that if a, a man may meet all the qualifications, but if his wife doesn't meet these, He's not a deacon. And it would be unwise to put his marriage through that. That's not loving them well. And the reason she can't be a slanderer is because she's going to hear some things. It's part of it. You just do. And she cannot say to someone else and gossip. Sometimes it happens. We, we'll navigate it and work through it. But it, that can't be the way it goes down. But you can't put stuff on Facebook. Uh, you can't you just got to be so careful. We've got to show wisdom. And so, so I think it's, a lot of churches try to tell the deacons, you can't tell your wives anything. I, that's unbiblical. From what I see, it got, I mean, why does she need to have any of these qualifications if he's not supposed to tell her something? She's not involved in some way, shape, or form. She's going to be involved in hospitality and shepherding. So that's critical. And it goes on to say, 
But deacons, each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households. Well, we dealt with this in Titus. I mean, again, if he can't manage his own household, we don't need to ask him to add something else to his life. This is not, we're not saying that, that, that you know, it's, it's a problem on him. No, the church is actually saying, no, we love you. We want you to actually get your house in order before you start taking on all these additional burdens. This is where you as children of men who could potentially be deacons have an impact, Right? And that's critical that, that they know that as well. You're having an impact on the church right now with how you live. And then it goes on to say, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this could be misinterpreted in, in, in someone thinking that what you gain is, you know, you get, to, you get to come up here and pray. Which, by the way, all the people who do that would tell you it's mortifying. It's harder than you think. And it's not as, as, it's not as something to be longed for as you think it is. And so, so, but what you get in good standing is actually, it's important that you recognize, you get good standing because you're reflecting the person and work of Christ. That is your good standing is before the Lord. And so having a good standing before the Lord, you have a good standing before his bride, the church. And that's a humbling thing, not something to be lauded and thought much of. But the other part's important too, which is confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now here's the saddest part. And I'm just going to be honest with you. This is where the church, I think, has failed the most. Many people will tell you that having that, that there's three things you don't ever want to see. How laws are made, how sausage is made, and how the church works from the inside. That last one kills me. Because that should not be true. The scripture says what actually should be the case is that our confidence in Jesus by serving his bride should grow. And what it should do for us is build us up, not tear us down so there's nothing left. I can't tell you how many guys I see walk away from the ministry or that served in these kinds of things that their experience left them going, I don't even want to go to church anymore. That should not be the case. Now, it is. it does happen because we're broken people in need of Jesus and the Spirit. This is why we should be so careful with this and not just elect anybody and, and make sure that anybody that is elected that we love them well, which may mean to tell them no. Or we love them well because we've said yes and we make sure that they stay healthy and their family stays healthy. That's something we're trying to grow in. I'm trying to grow in. I don't know if you guys knew this or not. I don't know what I'm doing the most part. I mean, you know, really, I mean, this is the first two and a half years of my ministry. If, if you, they don't teach you all this stuff in school, by the way. All the, all the really, the ins and outs and the, the stuff that, that really kind of hits you day to day. They don't tell you. Nobody tells you. Make sure that the deacons and the elders' wives are healthy and taken care of in some kind of way. Not in a weird way, but make sure you check on them once in a while and you keep them informed of some things as well because their husbands ain't going to do it. Like when a joint meeting is, right? So, so, I'm learning too, uh, and, and my, my, my genuine desire is to make sure that our, our leaders and their families are healthy and that we would elect no one for whom it would hurt their family. That will strain everybody. It's going to strain their family, but that's not the same thing as hurt, by the way. And so we want to be very, very careful because not just about us, Listen to what Philip Towner says. Paul expected close contact between believers and unbelievers and the evaluation of those onlookers. Of what could be seen and known about the church was crucial to the mission of the church. 
Consequently, the emphasis on the prospective leader's public respectability and reputation was a function of the interface that the believing community was to have with the surrounding world. And it is for this reason, for the reason of the public legitimacy of the gospel, that leaders must be able to project the reputation of integrity and seriousness beyond the church walls. So what is your attitude toward being a servant in the church for the glory of God? Remember that what we read from Mark 10? Jesus said, I came to be the servant of all so that some might be saved. I'll give my life as a ransom for many. See, in serving the church, we are, you are giving up some portion of your life. You're giving some portion of your life to meetings. You're giving some portion of your life to duties. You're giving some portion of your life to people and shepherding them in their most difficult times sometimes. You are giving, just as Jesus did, but know that you'll never give what he gave. And you give because he gave, and he will empower you to get through it. I'm here to testify. And how is your attitude of service in the church affecting your faith in Christ Jesus? Is it, is it strengthening it, or is it leaving you feeling more and more distant from the church? If it is, something's wrong, and we need to, that, that needs to be worked on, not just left to fester and grow and be destructive. Help us love each other well. Now, I have a couple of slides uh, that we'll pull up in just a second. Just, I'm going to run through them real quick about the qualifications just so we're on the same page. I'll send this out as an email as well. But let's talk about the two things we learned from these passages. One, the gospel growth necessitates cultivation of leadership, which facilitates further growth. We have to be thinking about the future generations and constantly cultivating leaders. That's discipleship, disciple makers who make disciples. How we live the, out the gospel affects our faith, did you know that? that? How you're living out the gospel affects your faith first and most of all. And then it has an impact on the faith of those who witness your life. Now, let's uh, look at, um, if you would pull up the slide that has the, um, uh, what, what the deacons are. So this is from uh, the Book of Church Order. For those of you who know or don't know as Presbyterians, we have this thing called the Book of Church Order. The beautiful thing about the Book of Church Order is it's in a three-ring binder, which means we can change it. Uh, and sometimes we do. Um, but this has not changed in a long, long time, I don't think. Um, but here's, here's, here's what the duties of the diaconate are. It says, under the supervision of the session, deacons are to, and there's three things, minister to those in need, to the sick. I love this one. And I wish we really put a lot more emphasis on this, and we're going, we're going to figure this out. To the friendless, and to any who may be in distress. Two, to develop the grace of liberality or generous giving in the members of the church, to develop effective methods of collecting the gifts of the people and distribute those gifts as required. That's not just finding baskets big enough to hold all the money. Um, but, but that's also kind of thinking through lots of different ways in which we can be generous. Three, care for the property of the congregation, including the upkeep of the physical structures. Now, where is that in the scripture? It's not, it's not I don't think, but it's, it's a help and it's necessary. And what the, if we do have the blessing of being in a building, the, if we let all the grass grow up and the paint go bad, what's the, what's the world going to think we think about that church? 
not much. So it does have an impact on the watching world, right? So it is there, has to be done. All right, so let's also, let's look at what the requirements are. Clearly evidence, is, now, this is both the man and his wife. Clearly evidence is the characteristics of 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, as displayed in their service to the church for the glory of God. There must be evidence. Two, be a member in good standing of Christ Community Church for, for a year and a half. Three, believes the doctrines of Scripture as described in the Westminster Confession of Faith without exceptions of substance. Now, I don't have time to go into all of what that means, but for this, again, the Westminster Confession of Faith is the guiding doctrinal document for the PCA. Now, it's not perfect, it's not Scripture, and you can take exceptions to some things, but substance, and just quickly, what things of substance would be anything related to the personal work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God. Uh, things that they may take umbrage with, which I did, which was some of the use of language from antiquated times, and some of the, like, you can't even take a walk on the Sabbath type stuff. Yeah, you can. Uh, but that, I don't think, yeah, anyway, we won't get into all that. But uh, number four, trusts and supports the current leadership. Now, that's critical, right? So don't, don't, what we don't want to have happen is, like, let's pick three guys or four guys or even five that currently hate the leadership and try to stage a coup. That's wow, that doesn't bring glory to God at all. Now, have, has the church in history ever done that? So let's not think that we're, not, that we're above that. We're not. They've got to trust the leadership. That doesn't mean they don't question the leadership. These men, actually, we need them to be strong enough to say, whoa, 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 whoa this isn't biblical. I'm, we need people. That, that, are, that, again, understand the mystery of the faith, that are strong enough to say, hold on a second, we've gotten off track here. We're, and they also support worship. Uh, again, we're not trying to have, which five guys agree to the Trinity hymn, or which five guys agree to antiphonal psalm singer, or which five guys agree to, no, that's not, that's, not, that's not the place and the time for that. And then the direction of Christ Community Church, if they don't agree with the direction, turning every meeting into a bloodbath is not going to be good for any of us. So it's important that that's all there. Number five, <laughs> receives three nominations from members at Christ Community Church. So when, when you nominate, you don't have to nominate three people per se, but that man must receive three nominations from members of Christ Community Church who recognize those gifts in him. Six, recognizes the inward leading of the Holy Spirit to the external call to be a deacon. This is critical. We've got men that you all have nominated in the past who just don't feel the inward call. Now, they continue to serve, and that is awesome, and we love them. But if they don't feel the inward call, we're not going to um, twist their arm because those you twist the arm of, you babysit because you broke their arm because <laughs> they're one arm there, right? And so we don't, we don't want to do that. If, if, if that man says, no, I don't think I'm called, I'm not going to argue with him much. Uh, and, and so it's, it's you know, that, I think that's critical. Number seven. Complete the six-month training in theological and practical application of the Westminster Confession of Faith, evangelism, biblical theology, doctrines of grace, prayer, personal spiritual health, and mercy ministry. Now, for those of you who might get nominated, you're looking at that going, oh my, how many books is that? It's six books, right? And you have like two weeks in between. You, you do have more time than you think, and every deacon who's gone through the process, which if you ask Jack Lane, I can tell you his first response. In my day, when we became deacons, we read 12 books, right? I, don't, I think I don't know, they read more books than that. <laughs> but you got time, 
And, it's, and, and again, what they will tell you, and this is what I find beautiful, all of them said it strengthened their faith, nourished their faith, and they were all the better for having done it. But it is a sacrifice. Number eight, be approved by the session for election. I mean, and you may be thinking, look at you Presbyterians, always hedging your bets. You let the congregation, this is like the electoral college all over again. Well, Acts chapter 6, moving on. Uh, <clears throat> is there any more after that? I think there's more. Nine, receive a majority vote of the members present. This is once you've gone through all this stuff and we have your, your ordination election. Receive a majority of the members present vote of the members present without significant opposition to be elected as a deacon. Again, yes, it's 51%, and no, it can't be more than probably 10% of our church that would oppose you. There's not an exact number on that side. There's a wisdom thing there. And the reason we wouldn't elect you at that time is we just need to make sure, what's going on? Like, why are all these people against this person? How do we navigate that? Which we would just be thrilled by, by the way, trying to hash through all that. Uh, but it happens. All right, is that it, Ben? All right, so... That was them in short. Here, here's the deal. We'll send you all of this in an email so you know, and you can, you can do your nomination online, just like the Thursday night movie and before Sunday. And if you have any questions about, if you have a question about someone you'd like to nominate, you, you can ask, but let me tell you who you should ask first, the man. Anybody you plan on nominating, don't surprise them and put them in the crosshairs. Go ask them that you're thinking about nominating them, and they will tell you. Hey, don't, I, I'm not, I do what I do here at the church. I don't want to be involved in the meetings. I fly solo and, you know, whatever. That's fine. But do ask. Um, and, and that way you know as to whether or not they're, what they're, where they're at. And you know how to pray for them. Um, and then if you have any further questions about the process, by all means, email, call, set up an appointment, whatever you need to do. Any of the elders, we, we can talk to you about it. Any of the deacons. Uh, can talk to you about it as well. But again, like I said, Jack's going to be like, in my day, we walked in the snow to church. Uh, and so, <laughs> so anyway, but, but um, thank you that we're at a place where we actually believe that there are men who are qualified. We wouldn't hold nominations if we, within the session of diaconate, didn't look out on the congregation and think, hey, we think there's some guys, there's some fruit. And we think that, 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 that we, we could get to, Right? Um, and it may be that some get nominated now, and like I said, they'll be cultivated for the next time. And so, um, but let me read this quote from R. Kent Hughes. If it is true that what the leadership is in microcosm or miniature, the congregation will become in macrocosm, and it's true. So that means whatever, the church is going to start to look like whatever's going on in leadership. So if we're, if we're at each other's throats, guess what the church is going to start to sense and feel and shrink? You're going to feel it, right? You're going to sense it. Um, and that is one of, the, one of the worst things you'll ever experience. If you've ever been in a church where it was obvious that the leadership was at loggerheads, it, it casts a pall on the church. Then the character of those who fill the office of deacon, as well as that of elder, uh, is of utmost importance. We must, listen, this is where you all come in. We must pray for leadership. And let me encourage you to be praying for the process praying for the current leaders, praying for them by name. Let them know you're praying for them. Send them a card, send them an email, send them a text, send them a Snapchat, Twitter, I don't care. Uh, do it all. Let them know you love them and you're praying for them. And we must seek such leadership. As is the leadership, so is the church. And so, 
Um, that is very important that we not lay hands on any man too quickly, that we have a process, that we stick to the process, and that we, we, we love one another well and realize this is not about politics. This is not about getting your person in there to be your voice for whatever it is that you want to get going on. Um, it won't end well. I can tell you, Jonathan Stuckett won't let it happen. He's stubborn. It's not me. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the easy one. No, that's not true. That's just not true. All right, let me pray for us. We do have one more song that we're not going to sing because I love the people in threes and fours. And they're thinking, are we doing two services in one because we skipped last week? What's going on here? So I'm going to mix the last song. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you the benediction. How's that? Father, thank you that you love your church enough to be faithful to your promises that she would grow and she would need leaders. What a good thing. May we first give praise to you because you've entrusted Christ Community Church with people, people that need to be shepherded, people that need to be loved, people that need to use their gifts, people that could be leaders. Now, would you be gracious and kind to this church and raise up at least two men, if not more? We'll take as many as you will give us and train them. God, would you be kind to your world, because you love it, that you would bring leaders who will help the church to grow, not just in transfer of membership, but because people come to know you from the start. God, thank you that we are in this position. Help us to be wise. Help those men who are nominated to sense whether or not you are in fact calling them at this time. Help them not be afraid to take the call, but help them be wise and, and care for their family well if they do, in fact, take on that call. Help your church to be honest about those who are nominated. Help, your, help those families of, of those men who are nominated be honest about whether or not it's a good time. Help us to love one another well in this so that the watching world would know who we are and who you are as a result. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.